Portions of the following program may be pre-recorded. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Do you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Yes. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. Come and draw from the well of salvation. Be made clean, let Him wash you in truth. Is the fountain of living water. Come and be made new. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. He can refresh you in the desert Where your sin left you lost on the brink He is the fountain of living water Come to Him, dear sinner, and drink Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water? Nothing but sin and death He is the fountain of living water Come to Jesus and live Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again let all who are thirsty come to Him. Will you drink deeply of Jesus? Will you come to the water of life? You will never thirst again. Let all who are thirsty come to Him. What most preachers will never tell you is that you must overcome all sin if you are going to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. They will tell you, you can never leave all your sin. You're always going to be a sinner. It's not true. They may not know that, because the Christian church in America has become filled with dishonesty. It is now more a business, wanting to fill the pews, bring in the dollars. Now, I'm not saying that pastors don't have wonderful, kind hearts in America. The nature of the job almost demands a humanitarian, someone who will love and care. But the issue is sin. If you read from Genesis through Revelation, what is the most common theme of the scriptures? Sin. 
What is sin? According to 1 John, sin is rebellion against God. It is lawlessness. It is what Eve did in the Garden of Eden. Seeing that the fruit would make her wise, she could be like a god. She could make her own decisions. And her husband said, Yes, sweetheart. Give me that piece of fruit. I'm going to eat it too. We might as well go down together. Today, I want to take you very rapidly through scriptures that you may have heard me preach on. It's important that we hear these scriptures, though, till the end of this broadcast. And at the end of the broadcast, I'm going to speak about the bombshell that has bound the Christian church in America and made it powerless with no passion. It's very, very unusual today to hear any preacher talk about sin and righteousness with any sort of passion. Because pastors today believe that the blood of Jesus Christ opened the way into the kingdom of God And they don't need to be righteous. In fact, they can't be righteous. And Jesus covers them and makes a way through a simple little sinner's prayer. It is garbage. It is not true. All sin must be cast off. And we must walk in the newness of life if we are going to enter into the kingdom of God with Jesus. He has made provision for that. It is not by works. It is by faith. But it is also what we do that shows and demonstrates whether or not we are truly followers of Jesus Christ. We begin in Romans, the sixth chapter. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. Absolutely no, the Apostle Paul says. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus? We were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. And that word new in the Greek, a life that we have never lived before. A new person, something no one has ever seen. A new person. So Paul introduces this subject in the sixth chapter and says, no, you must overcome your sin. You must overcome your lust. You must overcome your fornication. You must overcome your bitterness and your anger. You must overcome selfishness. You must overcome every part of your heart that is given to wickedness. He says, if we have been, in verse 5, if we have been united with him like this, that is, if we have died with him, there's only one way to overcome sin, and that's by dying to it. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we certainly also will be united with him in his resurrection. 
For we know that our old self was crucified with him in that the body of sins might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anybody who has died has been freed from sin. If you have not been freed from your sin and you call yourself a Christian, you're just lying to yourself. The sin must be overcome, and it is overcome by dying to it and living in Jesus Christ. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we also will live with him. Count yourselves dead to sin. Verse 11, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin. Well, the only way you cannot offer your parts of your body to sin is to be made new in Jesus Christ. That's the only way. It's very clear. Let me read it for you again. Verse 6. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. And that phrase in the Greek is much better translated. Put to death. I hear people say, Oh, I I struggle all the time with my carnal nature. No, you don't. Not if you're a Christian. You have the victory over that carnal nature. It is dead in you. It no longer lives in you. Anyone who has died has been free from sin. Now, I'm going to turn the very last verse of chapter 6. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. Remember, Hebrews says, Without holiness no man will see the Lord. But now that you have been set free from sin by being crucified with Christ Jesus, you have become a slave to God. You're either a slave to God or a slave to the devil. There is no in-between ground. And if you have died to your sin, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. The result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot be in Jesus Christ our Lord and continue to walk in sin. Impossible. You are either in Christ Jesus or you're in the devil. Now, I want to turn with you to another passage, and I'm being not very selective today. I could go to almost every scripture in the Bible, and it would essentially lead you to the same decision. Let's go to 1 John. 1 John, the third chapter. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. 
No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, start talking about the bombshell. What if the devil was clever enough to begin to bring into the church a theology that taught that you were not sinful while you were sinful? What if he began to bring in a theology and a teaching that Jesus forgave you for your sins, but did not remove your sins. Wouldn't that be something? But that's exactly what he has done. I've watched, even yea, in my lifetime, as this teaching has spread like wildfire through the Christian church in America. That you have sinned, that you disobey God, but it's not counted as sin. You're good to go. And so a person will say, I'm on my way to heaven. But they don't know that they're on their way to hell. They've been deceived. They believed a lie. How do we change that? And I have to tell you that what is so utterly discouraging to me is that I share this with people. It's just there. It's written in the scriptures, and I'm going to read it for you in just a moment. That people are full of sin, but are unconscious of their sin. And so a man will say, I'm not sinning against God. I'm saved. What they're really saying is, I've been able to improve my natural man to such a point that he will fit in heaven just fine. But he doesn't realize that he has never been born from above. John, the third chapter. He thinks that he has been born from above and that it's acceptable for him to live in the wickedness of his heart, taking in all of the enjoyment of the flesh in the world, but he's good to go. That's an oxymoron. That's an opposition. That's diametrically opposed, one from the other. But he's been deceived by the nations, by the devil, by this this modern-age pastor. The modern-age pastor used to only be concerned about friendship. The old pastors used to be concerned about fire and brimstone and judgment from God against the wickedness of your heart. But if the wickedness of your heart has been covered over and you have no comprehension of what that wickedness is and you think you're doing just great, what chance do you have? You've been deceived but you don't want to talk about it. And most pastors don't talk about sin. But sin is the topic of the scriptures. And redemption. But what if a man thinks he's redeemed in the midst of his wickedness? A man said to me, I don't commit any known sin. So I'm saved, and I'm on my way to heaven. But he can abuse his wife. 
wait a minute, isn't there something wrong with a man who physically abuses his wife? But who says he commits no known sin and he's on his way to heaven? Isn't there something wrong there? A man who fornicates and says, yes, I know that was wrong, but Jesus understands and he's forgiven me. Isn't there something wrong there? A man who lusts after money. But he says, I'm a Christian and I'm on the road to heaven. Isn't there something wrong there? But the modern church teaches that we have a right to be rich and then lays out strategies for success. And so the natural man is carefully groomed, carefully groomed for wickedness. But it's done in such a way that he believes he's making progress toward the kingdom of Jesus. Isn't there something wrong there? A man says, I go to church. I'm saved. I love Jesus. But he pursues the lust of this life, the pleasures of this life. So he can go to the football games and watch the violence. Isn't there something wrong there? When I read the scriptures, I read the story of, of Peter. He doesn't go to the gladiator games. He is totally given to Jesus Christ in the promulgation of the gospel of Jesus. He is totally given to walking in righteousness and holiness. He doesn't abuse his wife. He doesn't fornicate. He doesn't go to the wild parties. He's not loud and obnoxious. His heart is tender. His heart is filled with love and compassion for the poor and for the lost. He lays no claim to his money or anything he possesses. Everything belongs to his Lord Jesus. Isn't there something right in that? If I look this scripture, this is First John, the third chapter. But you know that he appeared, verse 5, so that he might take away our sins. It doesn't say he came so he would cover over our sins with a false gospel of greasy grace. No. In him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. If you're walking in sin, you don't know Jesus Christ. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. Oh, wait a minute. It's not he who claims to be without sin. It is he who is in fact righteous, walking in the Beatitudes, walking in the Scriptures, walking in the narrow path. 
the broad way, everyone is right. Every man do what you think is proper. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning. It doesn't say he's going to struggle and struggle and struggle, that the carnal nature is rising up and he's going to have to give way to it. It doesn't say that. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And because God's seed remains in a man, he cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. Please let me say this. When you are born of God, when you are born of the Spirit, you cannot go on sinning because God is a jealous God. The Spirit of God struggles with a man. And when that man is crucified with Jesus Christ, the sin life is over. He does not continue in it. He cannot continue sinning. That's what the scriptures say. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. You understand what I'm saying to you today? The preachers have not told us this. They've not told us this. They've lied to us. But now I want to come to what I referred to just a few moments ago. It's in the book of Revelation. You have your Bibles. Turn. It's the third chapter. It is viewed by most as a description of the modern-day church. Church at Laodicea. Now please, please hear and apply these words. It's devastating because we have lost the ability in the modern church to tell the difference between sin and righteousness. And instead, we've been thrown in the blender and we've been homogenized with the world so that we have no comprehension of what wickedness has been mixed into our our hearts and our minds. Everything is homogenized. No one stands up and says, Brother, that's sin. Stop or the hellfire judgment of God will be upon your life. When did you ever hear preachers say that? Listen. He says in verse 15, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. Why? Because you've been in a blender in the world where everything is mixed up. And there are no standards by which you say, that is wrong. I'm not going there. I'm not doing that. And slowly those things become entwined one with another. And so a man can go to the club 
He can enjoy the the wicked music. He feels okay about it. He's been there enough. It's a safe place. He says, Jesus says, I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. No radical standards of righteousness. You see, that's the problem in the modern church. Every man can judge for himself. Everything is okay. If you feel okay about it, it must be okay. He says, I wish you were either one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. So a group of leaders in a church in Washington, they have their meeting, and then somebody says, hey, guys, let's go down and enjoy the strip club tonight. Oh, not sure about that, brother. Come on, it's okay. We don't need to touch any women. So off they go to the strip club. By grace, the pastor finds out about it, and he's heartbroken. Thank you. He should be heartbroken. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth. I don't need anything. That is the description of a man or a woman who is completely satisfied with their life, or they're striving toward physical possessions or relationships. But they're good to go. Have you ever said, let's buy Dad a birthday present? And they say, hey, he doesn't need anything. What can we do for Dad? He's got everything. That's the condition of the American church. We've got it all. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The modern church does not know its condition before a holy God because they have been taught and have bought into the argument that they can keep their sin and that God's grace will cover them and they're free to do whatever they'd like to do, to go wherever they'd like to go, they're saved. They can participate in anything in the world. They have no concept of how they have been homogenized thrown in the blender, with the world. They are not separate from the world. They are one with the world and one with the church. Jesus says of them, I'm about to vomit them out of my mouth. They make me sick to my stomach. They need a new car. They don't consider what Jesus would consider would be appropriate for them. They want a bigger house. They don't consider what Jesus would consider would be appropriate for them. One family I know wanted a bigger house. Why did they want it? so they could do Bible studies in their home in the evening. They needed the room to hold all the people they wanted to bring to Jesus. That's different than the man who wants a bigger house because he has an ego. 
Now it says, You're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Well, what is gold? It's faith. I'm going to take actions that will stretch me with money. I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to take specific actions that I don't have the money to cover. I'm going to trust Jesus to cover it. I counsel you buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And then he says, and white clothes to cover, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. Well, what's that about? Well, we learn in the book of Revelation that white clothes are righteous acts of the saints. Turning from your being homogenized with the world, establishing righteous standards in your life according to the word of God, You're not going to go to places where everything is incestuous, where it's sensual, where it leads you into wickedness. Husbands, you're going to tell your wife, honey, please don't go out tonight wearing that outfit. It is so suggestive. Your breasts are uncovered. Your body, there's not anything hidden. Men will look at you and they will lust after you and you are responsible. Yes, they're responsible, but you are too before Jesus. Don't do it. And if she becomes enraged and angry and curses her husband, she's homogenized. She loves the world, and she wants that jewelry to set off her well-endowed figure. It's wickedness. Don't do it. Men, you want to look slick. Your neat little handkerchief in your front suit pocket. Your thousand dollar beautiful shoes. You want to look like you're somebody. Don't do it. Don't try to attract to your physical body so that people will say, Whoa, he's somebody. I better get to know him quickly. Don't do it. You want to smoke your cigar. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Don't do it. And I could go on and on and name, but you know what they are. But you don't think it's sin because... As one dear brother said to me, I can smoke my cigar. There's nothing wrong with smoking a cigar. And he's a serious Christian. So called. He's not, of course. He lusts after money. He lusts after power and prestige. See, when Jesus comes and he looks at his church in America. He looks at a church that has acquired wealth and doesn't need a thing, except maybe more money. Wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked, His life is open and exposed. 
anybody who wants to examine it and say, what kind of man is this? What kind of woman is this? Salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. We're blind. We can't see our true condition before a holy God, and it will require that we begin carefully thinking about every aspect of our life and saying, does this honor Jesus Christ, or do I have this in my life to honor myself, to be somebody, to look successful, to gain the privileges of the world? What are you doing? Are you homogenized? Mixed with Jesus and... It's not Jesus, it's the church. And mixed with the entertainment of the world? And the lust of the world? says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. There's only one way out of the desperate, wicked condition of America, and that is for the Holy Spirit to awaken our hearts to our true condition before a holy God and begin to deal with each of us honestly about our true condition to separate separate out from our hearts the lust of the world and the pride of life and Jesus Christ. And most don't want anything to do with that. Most pastors don't want to talk about it. And most pastors don't want to tell you that you are Exceedingly wicked in your pride, in your arrogance, in your striving for position and power in the church, your seductive nature, your insinuation that you're somebody. He says, I, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. We need to hear a sound in America of great sorrow and tears, sobbing, because we finally see who we are before a righteous and holy God and know that we're missing heaven and that if we don't get this straightened out in our hearts, we will never see Jesus but we'll go to hell with the rest of the church. There's no room for pride. He says here, I stand at the door and I knock. Can you hear my voice? And open the door? No. The American church can't hear the voice of God. Oh, we've got prophets out the gazoo. But they're false. They're prideful. They're arrogant. They don't hear from God. They hear from their own spirit. They're not somebody. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Jesus wants to fellowship with you, but he cannot fellowship with you because of the wickedness of your heart and your refusal to repent and search after him. Oh, my brother, my sister, we must overcome. He says, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, 
just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in our comfort, we refuse the word of Jesus. We don't have an ear. We've lost our ears and our eyes. We've been homogenized with darkness. Gives me no pleasure to speak these words. But we serve a God who is holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. He who was and is and is to come, the eternal God, the Almighty God. We don't have time to play games with God. We must turn and repent. We must turn and repent. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I come before you for this broadcast with great sorrow in my heart, knowing that most pastors will never tell their congregation what I've just preached. Instead, they will comfort them in their sin. They will tell them lies and fables. They will will tell them that they're saved in the midst of their wickedness. They don't want to lose the financial revenue from the tithe. They don't want to lose their position of power and authority. They believe they need to come and comfort God's people in their sin and tell them that they're saved in spite of their sin, that God's grace will cover them. Lord, they lie. I pray, Almighty God, that this message has awakened a pastor, that this message has awakened a minister, that this message has awakened an elder, has awakened people of the church, that it has awakened people who have turned away from you and gone the way of the world. Almighty God, how can a man be saved in the midst of his sin? If he doesn't renounce his sin, confess it before you, and forsake his sin, how can he be saved? He cannot be, Lord. That's what your word says. Lord, I come today desperately concerned for your people. The hour is late. Judgment is coming upon this nation, and many will perish. Almighty God, King of heaven and earth, Jesus, 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 we're in such trouble and don't know it. We don't have eyes to see or ears to hear. We're filled with pride and arrogance. Mighty God, humble your church. Humble me, Lord. Humble us. Turn our hearts. mercy upon us. Oh God, have mercy upon your church. 
awaken us. Alarm us. Your wrath is about to come upon us. Jesus. Heal our our wounds. Bind up our brokenness. Pray in your holy name. Lord, before I close this prayer, I'm compelled to lift up before you those who are going through a time of great suffering and brokenness and sorrow because the devil has attacked them because they're they're doing everything they can to live clean and holy before you. But the devil's determined he will take them down and destroy them. Lord, I pray your arms will be about them that you will be their comfort in this time of suffering. That you will approach them and bind up their wounds. Thank you, Jesus. Almighty God, you are filled with compassion and mercy, long-suffering, slow to anger. Lord, teach us who you are. And let us be filled with your grace. Pray this in your name. Amen. Well, you've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, Pastor Ray Greenlee, National Prayer Chapel. I want you to enter into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I want you to be zealous and repent. This has not been meant to be pleasant. Tempted to be truthful. I urge you to find a church this Saturday or this Sunday where this kind of word is preached and where you can seek the face of Jesus and be prayed for by other brothers and sisters. I thank those of you who are giving to support this work of the gospel. I recognize it's not what you hear most places. It's okay. I desire to speak the truth in love and compassion and mercy. I'd love to hear from you. Go to our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. You can get a mail address, or you can give online. God bless you. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Oh